Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and for this very special episode, I am joined by Conrad Stump and author Daniel Krauss to talk about the Summer Scares program. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yep, thanks. So would you tell our listeners all about what the Summer Scares program is? Yeah, of course. So Summer Scares is the Horror Writers Association's summer reading program. Uh, It's been going on since 2017, so we're going into our sixth year. And uh, essentially, each year we select uh, nine titles, three for adults, three for uh, teens, and three for middle grade. Um, and the point of this, the point of the reading initiative is really to engage, um, libraries with the horror genre so that they can connect with their communities, either through displays or book discussion groups or programming. So essentially, you know, we're providing this list of vetted titles, um, so that librarians can feel comfortable, um, recommending these to their patrons and planning things around them. Because uh, a lot of times librarians, I mean, some librarians love horror, which, you know, we love those librarians, but we also love the librarians who are kind of scared of it. And so that is part of what this is all about, is we are here to make horror less scary for people to enjoy. <laughs> so this is a program they can like choose to be a part of? Yeah, yes, they can choose to kind of have where they want. So, right, the easiest way is displays. They can either take those nine titles, create a display around them. Um, part of what we do is provide uh, read-alikes for each title. So, basically, you know, if you enjoy that title, you might also enjoy these four titles. So, basically, every year you're getting these nine core titles, um, but, you know, you're getting like 36 titles that you could plan a display around. So that's kind of the easiest way for libraries to kind of engage with the program. And then I'd say the next level up would be book discussion groups, right? So yeah. if you have a horror book discussion group, um, you could do a title for each month of the summer or, you know, for nine months you could do it. Um, but you could also just incorporate one of these kind of, you know, spooky titles into your book discussion group. Because uh, again, a lot of times people think that they don't like spooky stuff but then you know they like stranger things or um a lot of times people like movie horror but they think that they don't like book horror (laughs) and uh so you know working those into book discussion groups is kind of um a good way to for people to access that and then of course like the sort of top level of engaging with the program is um sort of holding public events based around the books that's exciting i used to love like summer reading programs at the Mm -hmm. library as a kid so i feel like this gets scratches that itch most Um, definitely is there something library patrons can do to be involved or encourage their local libraries yeah i would say i mean right um libraries are a community hub and so you know everyone from the patrons to librarians are part of that community and it's sort of like a collection right it's a circulating collection so it's a it's a relationship. And um, so patrons can um, request that their libraries get involved. You know, the librarians might not know about it. So if patrons want to discuss it with their, you know, local librarians, um, they can. And then um, sort of, you know, just let them know that 
there is that audience uh, mm-hmm. in their community for uh, horror programming and for uh, discussion around the horror genre. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's just about awareness. Uh, and so your library might not be aware. And that's kind of the best thing that regular, you know, people who are not librarians or horror authors or publishers can do. Okay. I don't think my local library are big horror fans from what I've seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it varies. (laughs) So what are the titles for this year? Yes, definitely. Let's go down the list. Um, So like I said, we choose three titles in three different categories, uh, adult, YA, and middle grade. So our three titles for the adult category this year are Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark, Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas, and The Mary Spinster, Tales of Everyday Horror by Daniel M. Lavery. Um, our three young adult selections for 2023 are In the Shadow of Blackbirds by Cat Winters, uh, Squad by Maggie Takuda Hall and Lisa Sterrell, uh, Mooncakes by Suzanne Walker and Wendy Shu. And then our three middle grade titles um, are Small Spaces by Catherine Arden, uh, Living Ghosts uh, by Dan Sasseli Jones and A Small Zombie Problem by uh, KG Campbell. Ooh, a lot of good titles there. Yeah, most definitely. And a lot of nice variety. Yeah. Um, Dan, were you involved with the selection process this year? Or do you know what goes into that? Yeah, I was. Um, it's a highly scientific process in Ooh. which. Um, we, well, it actually is kind of, I mean, we all put forth what titles are sort of on our radar and, you know, we ask each other, you know, more or less, what, what have you been reading over the past um, X number of years? How many years do we are allowed to go back, Conrad? Uh, I think about 10 years or so. So I think our cap, yeah, our cap for 2023 was uh, 2013. So nothing before 2013. Right. And one of my favorite parts of Summer Scarce is the fact that it does operate on this sort of back catalog because so many of the um, awards and lists and presentations that you're aware of are are always new books. Uh, But, and it's very hard to get a grasp of what's great and new, but as things age, there are certain things that really, as a horror reader and a horror fan, stick with you. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost, you know, in a way easier and more um, effective in a way to be able to look back and say, what were the things over the past, yeah. uh, uh, whatever you just said, how many years, 10 years, <laughs> whatever it was, um, that, that still I think about all the time. And, and it, you know, certainly in my case, which ones do I feel uh, – haven't got their due necessarily which ones haven't gotten as many readers as i i would like them to um and then we look at the list and we sort of challenge the list a little bit um is it as as varied as possible um have you is it missing something you know because we do want this to be a sort of broad picture of horror that will satisfy not just young and old but also people who are into something that's a little more extreme or people are into something that's a little uh, gentler or more spooky as a for, as opposed to just, you know, straight on terrifying. Yeah. So just like every other genre, horror is a huge spectrum that except for, you know, a pretty small population, everyone likes horror a little bit at least. 
they they might not realize it, but I, I think generally it's one of those genres that really um, there's something for everyone probably, and we, and we want the list to reflect that. I would agree with that. So yeah, you try to get a varied level of scares all around. Yeah, definitely. And um, so, you know, we want things that appeal to different people because, you know, you might be into um, like extreme horror is really big right now uh, and body horror is really big right now. But, you know, you might be someone who wants more of like a gothic chiller. So just sort of, you know, a nice little, oh, maybe something's amiss in this house where I've just become a governess. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's your level of um, scare. And then, you know, a couple other things that are really important in the selection process is that um, we want gender parity. And so, you know, the list cannot be, um, you know, more, and we don't have a, a difficult time achieving this by any means, but, um, you know, sometimes horror uh, can be viewed as like a very white cishet male genre um but it's actually a very diverse and inclusive genre and so you know one of our parameters is that it can't be essentially more than 50 percent like cishet white males um and so then we also want to make sure that there's a lot of diversity on the list and so we have um to have at least uh, 30% um, diverse authors, right? And uh, so those are just sort of benchmarks that we're looking at in the selection process um, to make sure that we are definitely meeting those because they are so important. So it is a big scientific thing. A little bit, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I love that. It's a lot of great titles. I was telling Dan earlier, like I've, I've read all of the adult titles and I've loved all of them and they are yeah, very diverse in in vibe and what they're going for. Um, and I'm currently making my way through the YA ones. And it's been it's been very fun. I've been very pleasantly surprised. Even with the two graphic novels, Mooncakes is very sweet and cozy. <laughs> and now I'm going into Squad and I'm like, oh, we're dealing with like body horror werewolves. Like, okay. <laughs> very different vibe from Mooncakes, but I am here for it. Yeah, that was a very, it was an interesting discussion with the group um, because I don't think that we've had two graphic novels uh, within the same category before. Um, but, you know, different members of the committee were passionate about both of the books. And so we thought, well, you know, they have this sort of very different approach in what they are doing, this whole different vibe. Um, so why not just include both of them? Um, you know, it's it's kind of scientific, but at the same time, we make the rules. <laughs> and so, you know, there's nothing saying that uh, we can't have two graphic novels in YA. So I'm really glad that um, both of those are on the list this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, I'm, and I hope more people do what you're doing and just sort of drill through the list. Um, I think one of... The great things about lists like this is that these days, especially, we're so sort of programmed by algorithms to sort of like a certain thing and then be fed more of that thing. And ex exploration has has degraded somewhat, I think, into um, exploring sort of very narrowly off what you're already sort of into. Um, and this is a good way to really go back to those days of uh, standing in sort of the blockbuster where oh, yeah. there's, there's a finite number of titles, but the chances of sort of revelation and discovery really ramp up in that case, because you're not being just given something that you're already used to. 
you know, if you're really into something like Catherine House, uh, there's a good chance you've never read something like Ring Shout. But this is a good opportunity yeah. to, to reach out a little bit and find find out that you love subgenres that you maybe didn't even know existed. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, especially if I'm at the library and I see this on an end cap, they look appealing. So I'm going to say at my library, um, I, I mean, I don't know if it's most libraries, horror is just kind of in there with the general fiction. So I feel like I have to have my list of like specifically what I'm looking for or like the author's but I'm like, okay, that's a horror author. I've never read that title. That looks, I guess that looks like a spooky spine. Let me check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book cover marketing uh, can be helpful. And there are some authors um, who, you know, kind of fall into the horror category, um, but their publisher wants to market them as, you know, sort of general fiction. Um, but there are still those indicators, right? And in, like, the words that are used on the cover, the image on the cover, and mm-hmm. that kind of let the reader know, like, okay, maybe this is my vibe. Um, but to both of your points about going through uh, the list and kind of experiencing something new and different, um, I think it was 2020, does that sound right? Gosh, that we had um, The Cypher by Kathy Koja. And uh, before that, I thought that I didn't like body horror because I had this idea of what body horror was, and I thought that it wasn't for me, but um, then I read that, and I really loved it, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm kind of into this, and then um, I read The Rest Maidens by Gwendolyn Keist, and I really loved that, and so now, you know, I've kind of gone from this person who thought that I didn't like body horror because I had this idea of what it was to being someone who actually really enjoys it. Yeah, that's good. We made a believer out of you. (laughs) So are there different big events planned for the summer? Yeah, so basically, um, we'll have a few things planned, but things really kick off uh, in June at StokerCon during Librarians Day, right? So StokerCon, for anyone who doesn't know, of course, is um, basically like the horror conference, and it's where the Stoker Award is given out, which, you know, is one of the biggest honors that you can get. as a horror writer. And uh, so each year, uh, Becky Spratford and I coordinate Librarians Day, which is a uh, day-long continuing education experience, right? Um, So librarians can come and we'll have different panels and, you know, they can kind of learn how to um, engage their communities with the horror genre. They could hear from other librarians from across across the country about how they've done it. They'll hear from authors and publishers. And so at the end of the day, uh, on Librarian's Day, we'll have a Summer Scares panel. So people will get to meet some of the authors, spokespeople. Um, Dan will be there. <laughs> and, um, and you know, get introduced to the program if they're not already um, aware of it. And so kind of throughout the summer, we'll be working to Um, connect libraries with the program and try to coordinate some author visits uh, and discussions based around the titles at at libraries across the country. So um, it's kind of a fun rollout over the summer (laughs) of of just programs at different libraries. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. If you are a librarian, it sounds like a can't miss event if you're in the Pittsburgh area. Definitely. Um, And we will have stuff planned for the podcast. I'm going to do different episodes for each age group and do kind of read-alikes and discussions about each of the the picks. So an adult episode, YA episode, and middle grade episode. Got some guests lined up. Excellent. Very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so you said there was also a programming guide? Yeah, that's right. So each year for the past few years, um, the Springfield Green County Library in beautiful Springfield, Missouri, for which I work, <laughs> uh, creates a uh, Summer Scares programming guide. So essentially, this is a guide that uh, libraries can use to uh, plan things for their communities, uh, sort of as I mentioned earlier, whether that's displays, book discussions, or programs. And so each of the nine Summer Scares titles gets uh, their own page in this guide. And so it'll have an overview of the book. It'll have sort of appeal factors um, that we work with uh, Yaika Sabat from Novelist on and Rita Likes that we also work with Yaika on. And then it'll have ideas for sort of how to use those appeal factors to uh, book talk the books, right, either to patrons or if you want to talk about it um, on sort of whatever social media stuff, book buzz that you might do for your library. And then we have book discussion guides. So it's essentially a set of like seven questions um, for book discussion groups to, to sort of use, at least as a jumping off point. Um, to kind of know what they can ask their groups about in regards to the book. And then it has four um, sample programs for each title. And so essentially, right, those are public events that yeah. uh, librarians can plan for their communities. And, you know, the first option is always like a Q&A with the, with the author because it's an easy event. And, um, you know, that's sort of like the highlight if you were planning a whole series for your community would be... Um, your kind of keynote author event. And then we'll have different things. I think like, you know, a lot of times I'll suggest partnering with a uh, local theater to view a movie. And so for Squad this year, um, you know, which is about like teenage girl werewolves um, seeking their own justice against predatory men, uh, I've suggested holding a viewing of Jennifer's body. I was um, going to say, I'm like, it's yeah, I mean, it's the, I love Jennifer's body and, you know, then having a discussion after that about some of the, um, you know, social issues uh, and gender issues that Jennifer's body is exploring. So that's kind of one idea that I might have. And then the other really cool thing about programming for libraries in general is like, uh, especially when it comes to horror is every community is going to have, you know, ghost stories, um, urban legends. They're going to have um, sort of, you know, famous murders in their community. There's always something spooky in the history of your town. And so a lot of times there will be something like that. So last year we had um, the remaking by Clay McLeod Chapman, and that's sort of like based on an urban legend and that urban legend is perpetuated over time. And so, you know, one of the suggested programs was urban legends of whatever, whatever town you're in. And so, you know, you just kind of partner with um, either like people in your local history department or, you know, whoever your local history person might be, if you're a smaller library um, or experts in the area from, you know, whatever that means, if it's a, if it's a college or if it's just genuinely someone who is like interested and has written about it. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff to do. And I think a lot of times for people, especially who don't have a lot of experience uh, planning public programming, it can be scary to know, like, how do I even start? And so that's really what the sample programs are for, is to um, kind of show you what the ideas are that you can kind of play around with and what programs you might plan. So, and then in addition to the pages for the nine titles, we'll also have uh, an article this year by Ben Rubin, who uh, 
is in charge of the horse studies archives at Pitt. And so he'll talk a, a bit about the archives and sort of their um, connection to summer scares. And then at the back of the guide, last year we kind of debuted this um, easy guide for like new and upcoming books by summer scares authors and spokespeople. And so uh, it's kind of just a nifty little, you know, 14 page guide to, um, get people excited about summer scares and get them planning things for their communities. Oh, that does sound really nifty. Mm-hmm. I love that it. That Urban Legends thing sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. it's super cool. And uh, the other thing that I should say is like, you know, I've been doing uh, public programming for a number of years, uh, <laughs> seven or eight. And horror programming is some of the most popular programming um, and especially local history programming that has like a spooky aspect to it. I mean, people really um, are drawn to that. And so uh, it's, it's a surefire sort of popular event for your community to plan something uh, in connection with summer scares that has a local history slant to it. I love that. Yeah. If you're a librarian, got to get on that. And Dan, what was your, um, your connection to the library in this program? Oh, I mean, everything Conrad's saying just, you know, makes this kind of an exercise and a wish fulfillment for me. Um, you know, growing up in a small town in Iowa, we, we had actually this beautiful little library, this old Carnegie library. Mm-hmm. I think it was the first library west of the Mississippi, I think was its distinction. Really? Um, quite small, but, but, uh, really interesting architecture and by i think it's very nature of its age and its um design was sort of a spooky place to me like it's sort of uh in a good way i mean i like that kind of thing but there were there were these sort of alabaster like statues and um there's something very like you can imagine ghosts in the stacks in that place um but you know they it was a situation where as a young reader of horror, um, I, I didn't know where the horror was. You yeah. Know? Like, and it makes sense that, you know, the horror would just be shelved with everything else. I get that. Um, but it, th- there was no way, particularly back then, pre-internet, for me to, to find any of it, you know? I had to know the names, you know? So, you know, Stephen King, but, you know, I, I can tell you right to this day, I can tell you right where the K section was. But to find anything else was virtually impossible i would have to run across it in life which was very difficult at that point so the idea of having a selection like this or any kind of programming that that wasn't aimed at little that the littlest kids because they had that and i have very good uh positive memories of that kind of stuff including ones that were also kind of scary and spooky um so there must have been like a halloween event or something um, but if they had done any kind of d- display work or programming, particularly if it wasn't, wasn't around Halloween, that would have been especially exciting. Uh, I think we tend to, to slot yeah. genres into horror at Halloween, romance in February, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's cutting, selling everything short, you know, like all those genres belong everywhere and they cross pollinate furiously um and so yeah for me growing up that the library was where i found everything and a lot of it was just roaming through the stacks 
And, I'm, and then as an adult, I, I became a librarian. I got my master's degree at the University of Illinois. And I was a librarian for a time. And then I worked for the American Library Association for many years um, and worked for the magazine Booklist. And so spent a good 10 years writing uh, book reviews and editing book reviews. And I was the horror guy there. So I just, you know, I would read multiple horror books uh, every week. Um, so I'm sort of steeped in the, the librarian um, horror book subculture whatever that is um and to be able to kind of feed back into that to sort of feed back into the the engine that built me is very satisfying um and exciting and it you you wonder what what kind of minds will be molded and created by reading these pics just as i was by stumbling across a clive barker book or something and it changed it really changed me. And these, I have no doubt that there will be people out there who read books, one of these nine books, and they will be changed and it will influence their lives. And maybe they'll become like me and they'll become a, an author, but maybe it'll just be something that broadens their view of society and the world. And I, I, I'm biased, of course, but I do think the horror genre is one of the most mind expanding and culturally expansive genres by its very nature it's a genre on the edge yeah um and societal change and development happens from the edges the outsides in and so normally you see these exciting kind of changes hit horror first they are sort of the bellwether or the canary in the coal mine in a good way that things are changing and developing so um, I'm just thrilled to be a part of all of that. Absolutely. And you've been on the side of having of being an author where your book is one of the Summer's Cares Pigs. So what's it like being on both sides of that? Yeah, right. I think uh, the very first year of Summer's Cares, my young adult book, Broders, was on the list. Um, and so it was a, you know, sort of a brand new program and initiative at that point. Um, but it was great. Like, it was... I, I did various library events, some in person, some online, um, uh, interviews here and there. Um, and it was, what's particularly satisfying for an author is that you only ever get to talk about your new books. Um, and to be able to, to jump back to Rodgers, which came out in 2011, I think, um, was so cool like to be able to, to jump back into a world you just don't ever do that particularly if you're prolific and um like me where i'm putting out a book or two a year um anything beyond a couple of years ago is just lost in a fog so uh, an excuse to go back and engage in that material again and remember to take a, a breath and remember why you wrote it and um, how it affected people and how it affected me as the author um, was really interesting and yeah. um, provocative and gave me a reason to sort of reflect on my career in a way that uh, maybe I hadn't before. So I, I, it was a great experience. And I particularly think that the authors whose books are on the older end that, that, have, that were published quite a few years ago will have that kind of same experience. And it's a really rich one i think and you know it you along with the positive you as an author you'll find things in the book you're like oh i would write that differently today or whatever but it's still an enriching experience and um 
one where you get to analyze sort of a younger version of yourself. And that's always very interesting. And that's something I think we get to do very often. Well, that is interesting. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I'm not an author, but I assume your books are like your children. Then you just put them out into the world. Yeah, you don't keep them very long. <laughs> <laughs> you have them, then you get rid of them fast. That is interesting. Yes, I was going to say, you are someone who I consider to be very prolific. Every time I see your name popping up, you have like one or two things coming out. And it is always, it just blows my mind. Um, like you have Whale Fall coming out mm-hmm. this year. And then was it was there something else as well? I think there was. This year I've got, um, last year I had four books come out. Oh four my novels come out, which oh was excessive. Even for me, it was excessive uh, and difficult to keep up with. It was actually almost problematic. Like it was, it was, I couldn't fully support everything. It was too much. So I'm going to try to slow down just a tad. Um, this year I had the third book in the Teddy's trilogy mm-hmm. and then I have Whale Fall which comes out, which is maybe my favorite book I've ever done. That really? comes out in August. Oh, I'm excited about that. Um, I'll say I don't think I've emotionally recovered from Bent Heavens. I think that one yeah. hit me yeah. in the heart. That, that's a tough one. That's one of Bent Heavens and Scowler are probably in my most, are my darkest books. They're, they, they kind of, they leave a mark. Yeah. Well, I think the last time you were on and we spoke, it was to talk about um, Bent Heavens and the Living Dead. And I hadn't finished Bent Heavens. I think when we spoke, I was still halfway through it. So I hadn't even gotten to the life ruining moment. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the advantages that Scowler has is the life ruining moment is like in the first 50 pages. So it it ruins your life early. So then you can just (laughs) kind of relax and you're sad. Here for the life ruining moments and horror is so good for that. Like if you want to, uh, if you want like Q horror, if you want emotional devastation, there's all kinds of titles out there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, a tradition that we have on this podcast is to ask our guests for a chilling obsession or something that they've been enjoying in horror lately. So what have you all been enjoying? Conrad, do you have something ready to roll? Oh, so... Okay, a couple things, because um, I, you know, I'm greedy and I have to choose two. Uh, so remember earlier when I mentioned being a governess, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the thing that I feel is kind of uh, big, and maybe this is just like in England, are these gothic chillers. Um, and I feel like there are a lot of them that I've been seeing, and I am a sucker for them. So I read uh, The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell, a few years ago, and it was one of the scariest books that I have read recently. And um, so, yeah, there are all these books. There's The Toll House by Carly Riggin. There's The House of Footsteps by Matthew West. And so it's kind of like, you know, someone going to um, a remote home, either to be a governess or to, like, uh, catalog a library. Uh, And, you know, maybe there's a ghost. Maybe there isn't, but there probably is. Um, So just that sort of, like, sense of unease that atmosphere that potential for a haunting um i'm really into that and then i'm also uh super into of course like the amount of uh queer horror that we're seeing right now and so i feel like you know when i was um growing up as a young gay boy um when i was growing up there weren't like people that i um had that you know authors who i knew of that were writing characters like me and i feel like right now there are so many people um writing queer horror and it's super exciting to see um because you know you almost 
my experience is that I almost forget um, to make sure that I'm reading books about uh, queer people because I'm so used to reading sort of heteronormative fiction. <laughs> um, but I am very excited about the just the amount of options that um, I have now to see characters um, that are LGBTQIA+. It's super cool. Yeah, I, I'm going to mention a, a movie and a book. A few days ago, just I saw a movie called The Outwaters that I just absolutely loved. Um, one of the, the scariest films I've ever seen. Um, and uh, I, I don't ever really get scared. Um, so it's, uh, I highly recommend that. And on the book side, I recently read and blurbed a debut novel called The Center by Aisha Menazir Siddiqui. I may, I may or may not be saying that right. Um, that uh, is really interesting and really different. It's, and it's one of those books where I'm not sure if it'll be marketed as horror or not, but there's, there's a piece to it that's really un unclear for a, a large point of the book that when it clicks in is really horrifying. Uh, so look out for that one. That's, I think, I think that's also coming out in August. Oh, okay. What's it about? It's about a woman who um, is a translator, like a book translator, or maybe she does uh, movie subtitles as well. Um, and she goes, she learns of this secret institute where you can go and completely master language in two weeks um, by just listening to these tapes of people in a different language, telling them the voice, um, talk, talk, just talking about their life. And then suddenly okay. one day um, you understand the language and it's a real mystery how it works. Um, and it is just one of the most page turning things. And just, I can't really say any more without spoiling it, but it's like sort of a drama literary fiction type of book that's, makes this turn that is so is such a great horror reveal um that i just no one's gonna see it coming it's it's a truly no. truly great twist in this one i am very intrigued so i will definitely be on the lookout for that um i will for an upcoming episode i recently watched for the first time the 2011 film adaptation for we need to talk about kevin Mm. Um, I loved the book, but the book was one of those like, you know, uncomfortable reading experiences, life ruining <laughs> types of stories. So I was like, I don't know that I'm prepared or in the right mindset to watch a film adaptation. Um, and it was great. It was also just like a beautiful movie. Tilda yeah. Swinton is fantastic in it. Uh, just great performances all around. I would say like totally a bit different from the book, right? I think like the book. I mean, I'm, I'm getting more into like what I'm talking about for the next episode, but I think she's like uh, the main character, Eva, is kind of like struggling between like the nature and nurture and like, is it my fault? Is he just like a spawn of Satan child? Um, where I think the movie definitely kind of leans like specifically one way mm -hmm. um, on that. But I, I absolutely loved it. So I'm really glad I finally got to finally sat down and watched it on Tubi. Tubi also gave me like a birth control uh, commercial like halfway through it. And I was like, <sighs> apt. <laughs> It never gives me that. <laughs> That's not on your algorithm. No. <laughs> well, the final tradition that we have on this podcast is to ask our guests for a final girl song. So what are you choosing for your final girl song? I'll 
go first this time. Um, I'm, you know, I think this question is probably uh, vague on purpose. Like, I don't know what exactly you mean by that. But um, what jumped to mind was I remember when I went to see the movie Pet Cemetery as a, maybe a middle schooler. And uh, it was like right in that period where like I was having issues with horror. Like, uh, so, I, like I went through these periods where I was really into horror and then horror really scared me too much. And I was in one of those periods and there was a moment though, where I, there, so for a while I'm watching the movie and I'm kind of like wanting to run out of the theater, but then there's a moment where the crowd kind of got into it and I sort of got into it. And I feel like it was a big moment in like sort of finding a lot of joy in horror and the movie ends with this great creepy ending and then it smash cuts to the credits with the Ramones singing this ridiculous song, uh, I Wanna Be Buried in a Pet Cemetery. And it's such a like a fun yeah. like moment. And like everyone was cheering and uh so I'm gonna go with Ramones Pet Cemetery. I love that. And yeah, it is it is vague. I like seeing how people interpret it. You know, I have people say like, you know, this is my final confrontation, my like gearing up to fight back song. This is my like Sally Hardesty on the back of the truck moment. This is my like end credit song. So uh-huh. like it's I love seeing how people take it. What about you, Conrad? Yeah, I went with like so I was trying to think of a horror movie that I had a connection to that had a song that I was really into. And then I sort of settled upon like the essence of the final girl's story, which I feel is very much an arc a lot of the time from, um, you know, not necessarily like a meek person, but they're going through this experience and they're learning um, just how much they can handle and what they are capable of. um, And they're gaining all of this perspective because of the horror that they are experiencing. Um, And so it's really a, a story about the growth of that person um, and finding, you know, sort of the strength within themselves. So I went with Stronger by Britney Spears uh, because, I mean, it's Britney and, uh, you know, specifically to the song too, like it's sort of a play on Baby One More Time where she's lonely and then, you know, she's not lonely anymore so it's just a very like powerful anthem song um about strength and um independence and so i thought that fits with the essence of a final girl absolutely does i'm stronger than yesterday Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) thank you both so much for coming on and chatting with me about summer stairs yeah definitely thank you so much for having us very welcome where can people find you online? Uh, for me, it's danielkraus.com, and I am sometimes on Twitter, but sometimes not. <laughs> Probably yeah. a good way to be. Yeah, I'm also sometimes on Twitter and sometimes not. Uh, more often than not, but you can still find me there, and it's just my name, Conrad Stump, or at Conrad Stump. See, that's how much I use it. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram under the Potai Librarian. So some people might read it as the Poety Librarian, because that's how I set that up. But uh, it's the Potai Librarian on Instagram. Um, and, you know, you could just Google me. All right. Well, listeners, be sure to check the links that'll be in the show notes and look into Summer Scares. And if you're a librarian, look into having some of this programming at your library. So thank you both so much. <laughs>
Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram and TikTok at Books in the Freezer. And you can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode are at booksinthefreezer.com and they will include a list of the books mentioned, where to find the guests for today's episode, affiliate links, and links for Patreon and other ways to support the podcast. One way to show your support for the podcast is to leave a review on a site like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and I'm going to read the latest five-star review left by, no names left, 5566. I feel that. The title is Gave Me Back the Desire to Read. I had almost completely given up reading for I don't even know how long, and then I came across Stephanie on TikTok around two years ago. It was her wildly successful extreme horror video, which piqued my interest immediately. As soon as I found out she had this podcast, I subscribed, and I look forward to the release of each episode. Stephanie is smart and funny and has a unique take on books from a variety of horror subgenres. Her guests are always witty and enjoyable to listen to, and my TBR cart grows with every episode. Thanks, Stephanie, for giving me back the desire to read. Thank you so much for this review. Um... There's so much I love about it. I am so happy that you have found your desire to read again and that this podcast played a part in it. Um, I also agree that the guests that I usually have on this podcast are very funny and witty and fun to listen to. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you to all of you who have taken time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you are a librarian and you are planning on participating in Summer Scares, I would love to hear all about it. Um, You know, this is also in conjunction with the Horror Writers Association. And if you are going to StokerCon this year that is going to be in Pittsburgh, I will be on a panel with Daniel Krause and Clay McLeod Chapman talking about the Summer Scares program and horror in libraries. If you're going, it seems like there's going to be a lot of great panels that day. So I suggested something you look into. Like I saw there was going to be like an extreme horror panel with like Brian Keene and Rath James White and Eric LaRocca and like a romance horror panel. So it really looks like it's a good time, good investment overall. And if you are not able to make the trek out to Pittsburgh, I do believe there is a virtual option for attendance where you can still watch some of the panels virtually. But anyway, I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on Instagram at That's What She Read and That's That's With two A's. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time on Books in the Freezer.